Hi, friends. I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. Can't get enough Canadian true crime? Neither can we. Check out our new friends Megs and Jess from True Crimes in the Great White North. They chat about all things crime-related and tell some brutal Canuck murders. I personally was hooked on the Ryan Shuka case, a missing persons case from our own home province that I had never heard of before. If you enjoy our podcast and want more Canadian true crime, do not sleep on True Crimes in the Great White North podcast and check them out on Instagram at Great White North Crimes. We're zooming. Oh, we're zooming now. We're zooming. For pretty much no reason. We've never once released Zoom footage, nor do we record in good enough shape to release Zoom footage. (laughs) No. No. Yeah, it's backup audio, pretty much. And then also so that we can look at each other. Hi. Well, I mean, we can look at each other and not record it. (laughs) True. Oh, boy. Today... You ready? Yeah, I mean, no, but yeah, I was honestly still researching up until an hour before this. It's fair. So I did just want to say, because I listened to part one, some people probably just listened to part one, because I think there'll be lots of people that like, wait, I know I'm like that, where I just wait until you put out part two, and I can binge them all at once. But at the end of the episode, I made a little bit of a mistake. I said that... Did you get his last wife's name wrong? No, I said that part of, like, his plea deal. We were talking about his plea deal and, like, how on earth did he get manslaughter in 14 and a half years. And I said that the prosecutors just went after Karen Hill's case because they didn't have enough on Jack. Yeah. But I don't know how I got this wrong, but, oh well, I'm telling you now. (laughs) It's similar. It has to do with Jack Blake. But what actually happened was they hadn't found his body yet at this point and Art hadn't actually admitted that he did it but he kind of alluded to knowing something about it and part of his plea deal was that they would like he would take manslaughter for Karen Hill they would drop the charges against Jack Blake altogether if they ever came up and then he would tell them where the body was so that they could find it I mean I think that that's always a fair deal when someone is up for murder already but I still think it should have been second degree murder exactly he never should have gotten manslaughter he never should have had that much opportunity to get out to begin with and yeah I do remember you saying that like he alluded to Jack but he never actually said anything but that was what prompted them to reopen it Mm -hmm. so at least they were looking into it and so I mean I'm glad they at least got some conclusion because if they got that deal and that's the sentence he got then obviously he took it mm-hmm. i'm glad they got his body i just wanted to clarify that before we kind of get into the next part of this so the title of today's episode is going to be i'm sure i mean everybody already knows because they can see it but i'm telling you so today's is the genesee river killer or the monster in Ooh. the rivers Oh, wait, can we talk about one thing first? Because I'm sure it's relevant. Mm -hmm. I even, look, I made myself a note when I was working the other day. Two things. I have been watching the George Floyd trial day in, day out for nine days. I'm like, I can't turn it off. I'm I'm so invested in it. It's going to make such a precedence for whatever the outcome is. So I just, that was first number one. 
Second of all, did you see that they announced another victim that they think is attached to the Green River Killer and they think she might be Canadian? No. Yeah, I saw it on the news the other day and they have a 3D rendering of what they think she'd look like and everything. Wow. And yeah, they like have an inkling that she's Canadian from what I heard. I have to look more into it, but I just thought that was super interesting. Yeah, that's wild. No, I didn't see it because I have been in another river all week. Fair. You've been in the... <laughs> I've been in the Genesee, Genesee River in Rochester, New York for... Rochester, mm. New York State for a good long while now, well, so... take me there. Yeah. Um, that was all I had. Okay. Well, I think we can just start then. That was That was housekeeping. That's it. So we left off last episode, last week, Arthur or Art, Arthur John Shawcross. If you didn't listen to the first part, just go do it. I'm not going over Stop now. I'm not going over his We're not going over all of that again. (laughs) No. I have enough to get through today. I can't. Um, I cannot. He had been divorced three times at this point. His third wife, Penny, left him. He walked straight out of the gates. Like we talked about, he got released after 14 and a half years of a 25-year sentence, which should have just been forever. And he walked right out into the arms of prison pen pal Rose, Rosemary Wally. So it's March of 1987. He was paroled for the murder of Karen Hill and the suspected murder of uh, a young boy neighbor of his, Jack Blake. These crimes occurred in Watertown, New York. He took the plea bargain, yada, yada, yada. We went over that. So Rose and Art had a pretty hard time settling down in any communities. Hold on, I'm just going to pull you up here so I can... Because of Art? Okay. Rose and Art had a hard time settling down in any communities because local law enforcement and press were real quick to advise their citizens that a murderous pedophile was walking amongst their streets. But they... I mean, yeah, but it, it, like everything else in this story, it gets worse, though. So It can always get worse. It, it can. I think that's going to be my new catchphrase. But I think wait, that's a, my favorite murder catchphrase. It gets worse. Oh, too bad. Too bad. They took all the good ones. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think theirs is, it can always get worse. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're, they're the queens. <clears throat> True. So eventually they settled down in a city called Rochester and Art's parole officer officer had moved them there in an effort to avoid their previous problems of not being able to live there and find a job. The parole officer didn't notify local law enforcement that he was coming, just kind of like withheld that information and sealed it. So that it didn't get out. I understand that, like, the community may not have been told, but, like, local law enforcement, I think, should have been... Nobody knew. ...professionally notified. Literally nobody knew, not even the police, that he had this record. And what year is this again? 87. Okay, so there was no email. Okay. (laughs) No email. I mean, do you know when... I was going to say, send an email. When was the email invented? Check back for fun facts. I'm going to look that up. So, yeah, the parole officer didn't tell them, so they didn't know, so nobody knew. So they just settled down and moseyed about their little lives. Rochester's... I can't say that word, by the way. That's going to be a problem today. Rochester? Rochester. Rochester's claim to fame is its fast-flowing Genesee River. And Art was quite attracted to this river. As we know, he likes to fish and do other things by the river. And he chose this as an ideal place to fish. 
the Art and Rose eventually found an apartment. It was at 241 Alexander Street. It's still there today. You can see pictures of it. Perhaps I'll post one. Rose became a nurse at a local hospital, and Arthur started working at a vegetable and fruit wholesaler. Okay, breaking news, everyone. It turns out that the email was actually invented in 1970. Fun fact of today. It was invented, but wow. I don't think he was using it, if I'm being completely honest with you. No, I don't think so either, but... I'm not no. certain Art was that advanced. And I mean, but he was in prison, so you never know. He might have come out and been like, I want to learn everything. Tell me everything that's new. Oh, Lord, maybe. Well, he did prove to be a good employee at his job. He was always on time, or he was arriving early for work on his now blue woman's bike. Art really liked a good lady's bike. Classic. With a basket. See part one for further details. Maybe it's just functionality. I really think so. <clears throat> I think he just needed a place to He's put... like, it's really just for the basket, guys. Well, and we'll find out that he was riding around with some fishing rods hanging out of there. So I think maybe he just liked to... He really did just like the practicality. But well, it was just a way to lure people. Because I mean, where else are you going to put your fishing rods? Heck, who knows? To take kids fishing. I guess so. So his employer eventually finds out about his criminal past, though, and releases him from employment. He gets a job selling hot dogs on Main Street for a while before he lands a permanent job as a salad maker for G&G Foods, and he worked, like, late overnights at this job. So this guy literally tossed salads for a living. Correct. Okay. A murderous <laughs> salad tosser. Oh, lordy. Okay, but... The comedy in this guy's story writes itself. Like, his life... <laughs> I'm torn if it needs to be a true crime movie or, like, just a horrible, what's his name? The guy who does, like, Shaun of the Dead-style montage terrible movie. I feel like you could make a parody true crime movie out of Arthur. That's what I mean. A parody. Yeah. That's parody. the word I was looking for. It was right there. Like some scary movie shit? I need you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Just fucking walking cross locks lots into the into the river or whatever like absolutely he could be a parody true crime documentary he's i can't take him seriously oh my god this guy's story one. just cracks me up <laughs> and we are not laughing at the victims again i know we don't even have to say it but oh. god this guy's story is funny he's ridiculous and stupid so it's around this time oh. though that he also he starts having an affair with a woman named clara neal and he still has time to marry Rose and, and have a marriage. But Clara Neal is important. She's not important because he was having an affair with her They're all important, Olivia. But we are all important. They're not. They're not I'm all kidding. important, though. <laughs> Sorry, we Currency be, Lady and Thelma Louise or whatever. Not all of them. Certainly not Clara. She's Damn. not important because they were having an affair, though. That's not the reason. She's important because art liked to use her vehicles for like day out not her bicycle no he liked i don't actually know if he had a car i think maybe he just had a lady's bike and then he would use her cars so like could you imagine if he was like hey girl i need to run a few errands can i borrow your bike and she's i don't have a bike but you can take my car and he was like shit I don't know how to drive this thing <laughs> i never learned <laughs> like, how to drive one of these he's been in and out of jail Oh, and then, sure. like, on a bicycle all the other times. Do we know if he could even drive? Art, I got questions. Yeah, well, I have no record of him having his own car, but he loved to use her cars. So, 
That's important mm. to note. Remember so it was a that. Treat. Okay. Put that on the. Okay. The he has a car. He has access to a vehicle now. Okay, I got yeah. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Upgrade from a lady's bike, you know. So he also at this point was he developed a habit of using her car to go driving up and down Lyle Avenue looking for prostitutes. So Lyle Avenue was like a red light district, industrial area. How does he have so much time? He has a wife, a girlfriend, and he's going out for a side piece? I think because he was working those really, really, really late night shows. And he has a job? Oh, yeah, he's a salad tosser. Right, he was selling tosses. (laughs) (laughs) He was tossing salads in the middle of the night, and I think that gave him, like, an excuse to be out at one in the morning. I guess. I can't tell you he lived a full life. Yeah, I'm just shocked that this guy has so much time. I think I'm a little envious of the amount of hours he finds in his day. day. (laughs) That's all. Well, we know he liked to call in sick a lot, so maybe he just wasn't going to work. True, yeah. He, he was a frequent Colin Sicker. So Lyle Ave, though, it's, I think we can all picture what that, what that looks like. Totally. Based on my description. Yeah. And as Art says, you could say I was enjoying myself about his frequent visits to Lyle Avenue. He, be- <laughs> yeah, he became known as a regular there. He was striking up friendships and relationships with the people who like lived there and worked there and were people that were there. I don't know what else to That say. was the worst description, but I knew exactly what you meant, yeah, and so will everyone can, else. You can cut that out. The locals? <laughs> yeah, the locals who, like, live there. They live on yeah. the street, they work on the street, that's... They're the transient they, kind of community. Even if they community. don't live there, like, they're there all the time, that's their community. Yeah. So he kind of became one of them, in a way. And then just gets in his car and drives home at the end of the day. Yeah, and his girlfriend's car drops it off at her house and then rides his bike from his Hops girlfriend. on his wife's bike, drives home to his wife. Correct. God, imagine <laughs> when Razor Scooter came out. This guy's fuck, yeah, I need one of those. Just busting people's ankles with his scooter. Oh, God. Because it's a weapon. Okay, we're getting off track. God. So, March 1988, so it's about a year after he is, like, released. They eventually settle down. So, March 1988 is when women start going missing from the Lyle Avenue Strip. In Rochester. Shocker. Yeah. So there's kind of like their cross streets that are both kind of considered the same area. It's Lake Avenue and Lyle Avenue. Wow. I just pictured, I, there was a split second where I forgot he had the car. And I just pictured him putting like prostitutes sitting in the basket part and holding the handlebars. And him just being like, okay, I know where we can go. And just. No. Oh. I know. Okay. And you know, we are only using the word prostitute here because in relation to the time of the story. That is it. We do understand that it is now called a sex worker, and we support sex workers. It's a way to make money. But I just do my very most of. I do my very best to call them workers throughout mm-hmm. the entire thing. But yeah, I mean, it's that's what they were known as then, and that's what Definitely, you yeah. read when you read the research. And honestly, you actually read way worse. And I didn't include. A lot of the terminology <laughs> that I found researching this case, I was telling Brandon, it took me a very long time to rewrite this in a way that I was, like, comfortable, comfortable speaking it out loud. <laughs> yes, correct. Yeah. Even if it wasn't recorded, I would have a hard time saying a lot of the things that I read <laughs> out loud to myself. Fair. So I've anyways, read some stuff like that. It's pretty bad. It's really, really bad and yeah. sensitive and horrible. So... 
I really did my best to try and frame... Censor it? Not even censor it, but talk about all these victims for what they are, human beings. Because they're people with jobs. That's who they are. 100%. On March 24th, 1988, a crew of laborers were clearing debris and garbage from a culvert in Salmon Creek when they found what they believed to be a mannequin floating face down. Never a mannequin. Covered in silt. Correct. It's literally never a mannequin. I'm glad we cleared that up. General consensus, people. It is never a mannequin. Not I think we can all agree. Has it been a mannequin? <laughs> so the woman was frozen and face down. She was wearing jeans, a hooded sweatshirt, and a single white Soda Pops brand sneaker. Her navy top was pulled up from the belt line, showing her bare midriff and. The medical examiner determined at the autopsy that she had died as a result of manual strangulation and noted that she had been bitten several times around her downstairs area. And the autopsy also revealed that she had been beaten by with a blunt object. So this so he is really went full speed ahead. Yeah, so all these he women went all out. All these women start going missing from the strip and then this is their first this is the first body that they, they found. Come. So this woman was identified as Dorothy. She was also known as Dotsie Blackburn. She was a 27-year-old mother of a six-year-old boy and two older children, and she was last seen alive on March 15, 1988, after having lunch with her sister at Run Cones Grill on Lyle Avenue. She was reported missing by her sister on March 18, 1988, after not hearing from or from or seeing her. There was little evidence and public pressure to solve her case, so it went cold for about a year. A lot of these victims were given little thought because of the, quote, dangerous nature of their professions. Yes, a high-risk lifestyle, so to speak. Yeah, and I say, quote, because... I'm not victim blaming. I'm just saying that this is this no. is the research and this is the facts. And it shouldn't be a dangerous job. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous job because of these. I'm gonna generally say men in this circumstance, just being yeah. with mm-hmm. sex workers specifically. Yeah, but yeah. The, predominantly, it's men that can't control themselves. Yeah, in the minds of the killer, because sex worker. This kind of victim profile means they're less likely to be missed by anybody, by friends and family, and the police will look less into their disappearance, yeah. considering them a runaway or considering them like not wanting to be found. Like In the minds of the police, they see a woman, she's over the age of 21, she, she's missing, she's a sex worker, they they look at you know an alternative lifestyle so to speak to the norm and they think well maybe she's not even in trouble maybe she doesn't want to be found and meanwhile in a big area like this potentially they have 16 other cases staring them in the face that they have a better chance of solving and so it's not i'm not saying it's right this is just the way it is no i agree and it shouldn't be no for sure and this like a local example of this that we can talk about would be like willie Pickton and Ash and Elena over at Morbid Podcast just did an amazing coverage of the Willie Picton case. So if anyone... What a deep dive. Right? If you're familiar with it and you want to know way more or you're not familiar with it, I highly recommend that because it it does... They talk about this topic a lot as well. But they did a phenomenal coverage of that case. Definitely. Anyway, back to art. That's Mm -hmm. just a thing that I, I don't think it should be overlooked when we're talking about a case like this. Definitely not. I think it's very important to highlight. Yeah. 
that and we do, and again highlight that we do support this job yeah if that's what you choose to do we support it you should be able to do it safely and in a proper way where you feel comfortable so yeah everyone's entitled to that where they work yep. no matter what the circumstance yep so between 1988-1989 there's reports of multiple sex workers from Lyle Avenue or like sometimes not even sex workers like maybe just people that live there people that are homeless going missing But again, due to the nature of their lifestyles and lack of evidence, none of the cases were linked together or, like, for a while, even considered to be related. Yeah, I mean, I I hate to say I can understand why, but but chances are they did base a lot of their suspected results on previous interactions they'd maybe had with these people. And maybe someone was known for getting into violent interactions and one was known for being a heavy drug user. So they probably thought they could be for an array of reasons as well. Yeah. I could see why it happened, even though it doesn't make it right. They deserved more attention. Yeah, so six months after Dotsie was found, on September 11th, 1988, the body of 27-year-old Anne-Marie Steffen was found in the Genesee River wearing a pair of Calvin Klein jeans pulled down around her ankles and turned inside out. A white tank top with red shoulder straps was wrapped around her right wrist, and the police found a pair of blue flip-flops nearby. A hand full of hair had been ripped from her skull, and her eyes were missing from their sockets. So, I should have prefaced this at the beginning of the episode. I'll say it now. This doesn't get any less brutal, and I actually cut out most of the brutal parts. I just... And I know other podcasts have said this because every time they say it, I'm like, preach. But, like, why do you have to mess with people's eyes and genitals? I don't know. That I just don't understand because it just seems like such a crazy invasive thing over and above what you've already done. I don't know. That just seems so odd. That mutilation choice. Just I've never... Well, I mean, I don't understand most of it, but that one just irks me gouging on her eyeballs is pretty gnarly yeah i don't yeah, love that eye stuff I, don't, grosses me out. I don't love any of it but yeah I, I will i will preface that that it it, it doesn't get better but i did my very friggin' best with what i have to work with to balance like not cutting everything out and giving you you know giving people you're here for true crime i'm assuming that you're okay with mm-hmm. some level of brutality but this case is gnarly so every single article book documentary i use for this will be linked if you want to go a little further um get the extra details and we want that feedback too if you like the way we tell stories right now is do you feel like there's stuff missing from them because we do cut out so much and we can find a healthy balance so we want that feedback as well so let us know yeah at podcast by proxy on instagram honey boom (laughs) okay Back to the show. So, Anne was a 27-year-old sex worker who she actually took to Lyle Avenue. She unfortunately picked up a drug habit after the passing of her sister, who was paralyzed. And she was last seen alive walking along Lyle Ave on July 9th, 1988. Art had met her, actually, that day nearby at Princess Restaurant on Lake Ave. Quick question. Is he, this whole time he's still married, correct? He's married and he has a girlfriend. Okay. He's married when to Rose. When do we still have the girlfriend? Because he has the car. He's married to Rose. But I wasn't he's, sure about the wife. Yeah, he stays married to Rose for a while. 
Again, I don't know where this guy is getting all this poon because he's not attractive. So I, I just don't get it. But continue. Yeah, I know. It's horrible. So Anne-Marie Stefan was actually the last body to be found until October 21st, 1989. So over a year later. Oh, wow. When three salmon fishermen discovered the body of Dorothy Keeler in the Genesee River, describing it as, quote, a bunch of bones in clothes, which is ouch. I hate that. Yeah, and I mean, we all know that gross things happen to the body when it's left in water. Mm-hmm. So her corpse, her body, sorry, was laying in the fetal position with her jeans unzipped, pulled down. Three pullovers covered her upper body bones and a rib was fractured. This is horrific. Her head was missing. Dorothy Keeler was a 59-year-old former waitress. She was a drifter and she frequently frequented Lilav as well. And she had picked up an alcohol problem and she was actually employed as a cleaner by Arthur and Rose at their house. Oh my god. Yeah, he was. She, she was their cleaner. God, keep it outside the house. Yeah. I know. So the fourth body to be found was Patricia Ives. She was also known as Patty. She was a 25-year-old who was also a sex worker and frequented Lyle Ave. She was reported missing on September 30th, 1989 by her, they say pimp slash boyfriend, so I'll just leave it at that, who was known as Ratface Billy. <laughs> Your face. Ew. I know, it's gross. Billy is enough. Ratface? I... Just why? Her body was found six days after Anne-Marie Steffens. She was found on October 27th, 1989 by children who were looking for a lost baseball. Oh, God, I hate when kids find bodies. Yeah. They How traumatizing. apparently saw a foot sticking out from a pile of flattened cardboard lying underneath, like, a maple tree that was near the gorge. Yeah, so Patty was wearing black pants and a heavy sweatshirt, and she was lying face up. She had a wedding ring that was missing, and she didn't have any shoes or socks on. Maggots had eaten most of her flesh by the time she was found. And a witness who was driving past the corner of Lake and Driving Park at around 7 p.m. on September 29th, 1989, later told the police that he knew he knew Patty and that he had seen her with a white male who was riding a bike with balloon tires. The bike had rear baskets with fishing rods protruding from them. And he noted that he watched the two climb through a hole in the fence behind the tennis court of the YMCA. Bicycle with a basket. And fishing rods. Mm. Huh. Suspicious. Yeah, I wonder. The next victim in this string of terror is June Stott. She was the youngest of eight children, and it was thought that she potentially had a learning disability. She also lived on Lyle Ave, and she had some mental health problems. She had started hearing, like, mysterious voices in her head, but she wasn't a sex worker, and she didn't do drugs or anything, but her mental health issues were, like, so severe and untreated that she ended up on... That's where she spend most of her time. So it's just the domino effect, yeah. Mm-hmm. So June also knew Art. It is said that she actually visited his home for dinner a few times. And don't forget that Arthur was like he was a frequent visitor of Lyle Ave. He was there all the time. He was meeting people. 
He was hanging out. And they the probably crowd. trusted him. He was trusted. Like they would have trusted, or at least him. recognized him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that I saw that guy was so and so last week. Like you make the connections. Mm-hmm. Even a group of people like this that would potentially be untrusting to men or strangers, if they were, or an outsider, would be really trusting of yeah. him. Yeah, which is scary. It's terrifying. So. June's boyfriend at the time waited three weeks to report her missing. She was last seen on October 23rd, 1989, and her body was found on November 23rd. So a month later, his name was a man named... They found her pretty quick. They did. Quicker than some of the other victims, yeah. So the man who found her was a man named Mark. He was walking his dog in a suburb in Rochester called Charlotte and noticed an ice-covered object that had been dragged into the reeds, so like into the bush, and it took- Ice covered. I know. Well, because all all this is happening like both years in the winter. Yeah. No, I know, I just, there's something extra about the idea of a crime scene in ice. It just seems so much extra creepy and daunting, and the whole process of it seems so much more daunting. And like literally evidence is melting while you're trying to work with it. Yeah. Potentially. Pretty much. That's so scary. That idea. So, yeah. Mm. So, the the object that they discovered had been dragged into the bush was a piece of frozen carpet, which inside of it rolled up had the decomposed remains of 30-year-old June. Her corpse... Move on from the carpet, people. Yeah. Too obvious. Right? Who's still doing that? Are we, aren't we over the carpet? It's 2020s. Like... It's t- Come on. I thought you said it's 2020, and I was going to be like, hmm, no, we definitely passed that. But I it's realized. It's the 2020. I realized you said it was the 2020s. and I'll, I said 2020, and then I just quickly slipped an S on it. <laughs> Saving face. So you might be able to talk a little bit more about this, but I'll explain this to you. So her corpse, like, I keep saying corpse. I don't know why I wrote it like that. It's so morbid. I should have just wrote her body, like. Her, her remains. Her remains. Be a little more sensitive. There's so many other options. There's so many other <laughs> options than corpse. Like, good lord. Just like immediately but changes the my thing word is, document. Replace all words. It's not wrong. It is technically it's the proper terminology. So do what you gotta do. It is. It's a little cold. It is. I don't <laughs> love it. Like, I'm not trying to be that person, you know. Anyways. Fair. June's body was found face down, but... Liver mortis or, like, the lividity staining actually Uh showed that she had been rolled over a long time after she died. Okay, so she, sorry, she was face up or face down at this point? Her body was face down. Okay, so she died and was left in that position for quite some time. And then when they disposed of her body, they flipped her over. So all the marking would be on the back of her body, like that marbling. Because that's where all the blood would pool, because that's what they're talking about. So there'd be, like, that kind of blood-veiny, blood-vessel-looking, bruising kind of marking. So when they found her, her dead back bodies. would have been all, like, red and that dark purpley yeah, like kind purple-y, of... Yeah, like purpley. Yeah. So that would tell you that she actually died on her back, and then the blood yeah. was drawn to the bottom. And clearly based it on the amount of the markings, they were able to determine that it was quite some time. So she likely was killed and then just kind of like left on the ground for a bit. Not to sound insensitive, but that's what it seems like. And then maybe someone had moved her to dispose of the remains. Or returned. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
that's kind of what I figured. I just, you know. So this one is even more so gruesome than a missing head and other things that we've discussed. So just hit that little 15 second skip button a few times if you're not skip, ready skip. for it. But her body was positioned in such a way that it looked like she had been raped anally after death and her body had actually been like slashed open from breastbone to crotch. Like she was like a vis- Oh, so like right she down was, like, the middle? She was like eviscerated down the middle. And her like oh. genital lips were missing. Again, I just said people leave the genitals alone. Yeah, and just the mutilation on all of these there's a there's a pattern here. There's mutilation Definitely. You know, there's... Seems like a lot of anger. A lot of anger mutilation. Just over the top... Violence. Yeah. Treatment of their bodies after they've been murdered. It's just... It's horrific. Okay. So, the next victim. Frances Franny Brown. She... I know, Franny. These names are so cute for a lot of them, though. They're so sweet. Fanny Brown. She disappeared on November 11th, 1989 from the red light district of Lyle Ave. She had become a mother at 18, but she had unfortunately fallen into a drug addiction and she had ended up on the streets. So she was living there. She had actually been speaking with a neighbor or someone close by shortly before she disappeared. And so that's kind of how they had an idea of when her last... Her timeline. Her timeline, yeah. Yeah. Her body was found four days later on November 15th by a fisherman walking along Seth Green Drive. I know. He, again, thought he found a mannequin. Have you ever once considered that somebody just tossed a mannequin in a river? Can you just go, like, pause this for a minute and go tell your boyfriend, tell him to put it on his social media and just let him know, hey, guys, you ever see something you think it's a mannequin? They just want to let you know it's not. Please. It's a man. It's, it's never a never mannequin. a mannequin. They're not listening because they think it's only for the females, but it's never a mannequin. Yeah. And it's clearly wrong because they also still think it's a mannequin. So <laughs> listen up. It just starts, like, quote tweeting all of my favorite murder quotes to Brandon. He's what on earth? Stop. What are these? <laughs> okay, so Franny was found very similar to all of the other victims we've talked about so far. She was found pretty much nude except for she was only wearing a pair of white boots and she was in a slight kneeling position appearing to be clutching a cement block. So originally investigators thought maybe she was like beaten or thrown over yeah. or something and then they thought she was dead and then clutching yeah. to something and then dying there so that's devastating or yeah almost like you said if he had pushed her down or pushed her against mm-hmm. something and she kind of naturally fell in that hugging position to catch herself and then maybe he hurt her further while she was in that position yeah i could see it okay i know what you mean so at this point they now have six bodies so two from 88 and now four in like a two-month span And there's also other women who were also, like, regulars of the Strip in some way, shape, or form connected to that area who have been reported missing but not found. Okay. So, a lot? Yes. The causes of death of everybody so far who they've found 
are all strangulation or beating, and they were disposed of naked or only partially clothed. A majority of these victims had debris stuffed into their eyes, their nose, their anus, or their vagina. I don't know why I don't want to say the the words. Vagina? Why don't I want to say these words? I have no problem saying those words, talking about, like, sex education or having conversations with people about sex. But when it comes to someone being mutilated and hurt and just... It's really uncomfortable. that way, it feels uncomfortable. It feels no, uncomfortable. I totally know what you mean. So all of their clothes had often been found neatly folded and close to the corpses, like the, the victims who weren't wearing clothes at all. So he's a little meticulous about they're, it, too. They're folded and close and by. Methodical. Mm-hmm. And okay. the bodies were also noted to have been partially eaten by either wild animals or in some cases it looked like maybe the killer himself. Ew. Mm-hmm. Just had to take it there. Yeah, like, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but cannibalism is never cool, guys. I mean, none of this stuff is cool, but cannibalism is extra not cool. Extra not cool. Extra not cool. So, uh... <laughs> That's your slogan. Extra not cool. <laughs> that would be... Put that on a t-shirt. At this point, the Rochester Police Department doubles the size of its physical crimes unit. It puts around-the-clock surveillance of the entire Rochester PD tactical unit focused on the red light district. Hundreds of workers, like sex workers and people who uh, frequent that area, were questioned by police. And actually, undercover officers started posing on Lyle Avenue. And they were, like, chatting with Art about the investigation. So he also inserted himself in the investigation. Well, he's there. He's there all the time anyways. It's not like he just decided to go there because of that. It's like, he's already there. And so they start... Like, doesn't that stick out to them? I honestly think they just thought he was also a regular. So, like, they're talking to him about it. And he says, yeah, I'm laughing at them. Here they are telling me about the investigation. And I'm the one that did it. He's just standing there yeah. chuckling as they're telling him. He also was a really regular client of... The Dunkin' Donuts. Like, he used to hang out at the Dunkin' Donuts. Again, I blame him. when, though? When were you hanging out at Dunkin' Donuts? I know. So, this Donuts? guy has a full-time job at night. Mm-hmm. During the day, he has a wife. Mm-hmm. He probably, what, sneaks away for staff meeting to see his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And then he, what, is... And doing this. Just and then down also there hanging, hanging out, Donuts. catching the gossip at Dunkin' Donuts mm-hmm. on the side. So, yeah, so he hangs out at Dunkin' Donuts. And coincidentally, so do some of the officers. So he'd just be sitting there having his coffee, hanging out at Dunkin' Donuts, and they would come up and sit at a table nearby him and start talking about the the investigation. I'm so frustrated when this happens. So, like, of course he doesn't know everything. The cops, I'm sure, aren't talking about every aspect of their investigation in Dunkin' Donuts. But he knows more than the average person, which is dangerous. Absolutely. Yeah. And, like, how careful were they really being? I don't know. It doesn't seem like very careful. Not very. Let's put it that way. If they're sitting in a coffee shop talking about it at all, mm-hmm. not very. Yeah, so but he, I think that speaks volumes to how important the case was. Like, they didn't care that much yeah. because of who the victims were. Mm-hmm. Even when they were on the case, they weren't taking it as seriously, it seems. Yeah, but so because of this, he's always up to date with what bodies are found where and when and where the police investigation is at. He always knows. He doesn't have to ask. Yeah. He just knows. He's got that hot goss. Mm-hmm. So... Elizabeth Gibson was 29 years old when she went missing. Uh, She went missing on November 25th. 
Everything pretty much from now on is 1989, so I'm going to stop repeating the okay. year because it's getting annoying to me. I'm sure everyone listening is, shut up, we get it, we're in 89. So, <laughs> sorry people. Sorry, friends. I'm going to ask you in a minute, be like, wait, what year is this? I'm totally going to forget. <laughs> so she goes missing on uh, November 25th on Lilav. She was also a regular resident of, and she worked on Lilav. Her body was found two days later on November 27th by a deer hunter who was walking through some of the woods east of Rochester. She had been suffocated and dumped in the woods. And for this one, though, the police found tire impressions in the muddy ground and blue paint chips where a vehicle had scraped a tree. This paint was later matched to a blue Dodge Omni that was owned by Claire Neal. What the fuck is a Dodge Omni? I don't know, but she came full circle, folks. She did. She really I'm did. so glad that you emphasized that Thank earlier. You. But I do need to look up what a Dodge Omni is. Insert photo here. Oh. Yeah, it kind of looks like a gremlin, like a Wayne's World car. Oh, yes, it does. So it gets worse, though. Again. I'm coining this catchphrase. I don't care how long it takes. It gets worse, though. Or it could be wine and crime. Either way, it's true. It can always get worse. It could, no, it does get worse, though. I'm not saying it can always get worse in this statement. I'm saying it gets worse. It does. I'm telling you. Like, no, this, this, isn't a, this isn't an option. This is a promise. This, yeah, this is a promise. It gets worse. So our next victim is Darlene Trippy. She was 32 years old. She was last seen by her sister on December 15th. Darlene, she was a petite brunette woman. She hung around Lyle and Gav often looking for work. But Darlene was very much loved by her family. They did not judge her daughter's career. And they noticed immediately like, when she was missing. Like, they re- they noticed right away. And well, I think they were hypervigilant, probably, if they did support her knowing what she was doing. They were probably acutely aware of when she was missing. Yeah. Regularly. Reacted so fast. Mm-hmm. So... Not shockingly, Darlene and Art were close. They were close enough that they exchanged gifts at Christmas time. Art had actually... Their celebrity couple name would be Dart. You're on a roll today. Um... I really... <laughs> I'm going to be here all day. But you know what? Again, it writes itself. Yeah, you're right. This one really does. So Art had actually visited Darlene's home a few days prior to her going missing. He was seen arriving with venison and coffee. So, like, hunks of large game animal meat and some coffees. Okay. Oh, like, they were actual, like, coffees. I thought you meant, like, a bag of coffee. Uh-huh. I was like, that's like, even coffees weirder. coffees to enjoy together and, like, a slab of meat. Because, of course. I mean, if, if I knew someone went hunting and was bringing me some meat, I'd be like, great. If someone showed up unannounced, which is, like, thigh of venison, I'd be like, you, we are not friends anymore. <laughs> Get out of my house. I don't have room in my freezer for that. You can't show up unannounced with that much meat. Do you want to know how vegetarian I am? Yeah. I had to Google venison. Like, I had no idea what that is. Yeah, I had no clue. I don't hunt. Fair. Imagine, imagine. Hey, I don't eat that much meat anymore compared to what I used to eat, although I'm not anywhere near vegetarian, but I genuinely enjoy eating vegetarian meals. Yeah. I, I mean, I still eat fish, so I guess I'm pescatarian, but I haven't eaten meat in almost five years, so, and I, I never really ate game meat. I, I'm not against hunting. I know, I know. Anyway, 
that's not a just not no i respect people that hunt in a way it's not no i do because they use more of the animal yeah anyway i had to google what a venison is because i was like what the actual shit is that i thought it was like liquor or something if i'm being honest would you like to enlighten anyone who doesn't know what a venison is what the simple term for a venison is venison yeah what would be the closest comparison for you venison would be well they say that it's technically like deer meat yeah. But it can be like any large game animal, so like moose or elk. Yeah, it can as be like well. a caribou, yeah. elk, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But like most commonly, it would be deer. But just, I think there's probably a lot of other people out there that may actually not know that right off the bat, especially if they're not meat eaters. Fair. Well, now you do. You learned something new case. today that you might not have cared about. So, it's usually what we're here for. <laughs> apparently, though. Darlene and Art, while they were enjoying coffee and venison, even spoke about the murders that were taking place in Rochester. Like, Oh, I'm sure he chatted with everyone about yeah. this. Just like, crazy, hey, have you heard about... He's totally inserting himself. Yeah. So Without a doubt. The next victim is important. Not that they're not all important, but this one is important to cracking the case or an important piece in so the So this puzzle. one is pivotal to yes. solving it. Yes. Okay. Okay. So her name Very exciting. was June Cicero, and okay. June was 34 years old at the time that she went missing, but she had been very well known on the streets of Rochester for about 16 years. She moved there from oh, wow. Brooklyn in 1973 when she was only like 18, and she had been working there and a bit a regular there. The entire time. She was a very strong presence on Lyle Ave. She was considered to be like a mother figure to many of the younger I was gonna workers. Say, yeah. She was probably like a matriarch of the She was road. basically like the madam of the streets, bad bitch alert. Like she was known. Get it, girl. She was known. They actually said she was known as a wild cat by vice officers. <laughs> yes. Yes, you were. So I don't know, just do you think the people would want me to explain what a vice officer actually is? Sure. Why not? Well, I, I don't know if people know or not. It might be obvious, but... Sure. I'll, I'll explain to you the, the, the actual meaning behind vice and the vice in Miami Vice. <laughs> so vice is actually the arm of the police department that handles things like they handle prostitution, illegal gambling, pornography, illegal sales of drugs, guns, alcohol. A lot of the things that vice officers deal with aren't actually illegal in their regulated form. There is usually a legal form of what they're policing, but they differ in that so they're dealing well, with an, yeah. an immoral use or like how the people are using that it, it offends like the moral standards of the community that's banning them and so Fair. they deal with basically those offenses that society deems to be immoral to put it as absolutely so they take the things that are frowned upon by the masses yes and regulate them yes because okay. like pornography in and of itself is not illegal but it's regulated and there's a lot of red tape yeah or like buying guns in and of itself mm-hmm. in its regulated form is not illegal and so vice officers deal with the basically the black market for for these types of yes yeah okay i'm done so Fair. when June vanished, like when she went missing, it was noticed right away by everybody. She went missing in the late evening of December 17th, 1989, and she was actually not found until January 3rd. Oh, wow. But before that, 
Felicia Stevens was a small woman who was about five foot five, 115 pounds. She had black hair, brown skin, and brown eyes. She worked on Lyle Ave. She was last seen hopping into a car with Arthur John Shawcross, shocker, during the evening of December 28th. Three days later, her black denim jeans were found covered in ice in the snow in Northampton Park. ID in the pockets of the jeans identified them as belonging to Felicia. So the, the police did... This, this part's actually, again, kind of goes back to what we were talking about with just, you know, these cases specifically not being looked into seriously. So the police did a bit more of a thorough search of the area and found her pleated gray boots, and they just assumed that she was probably buried close by. Not a single one of these victims have been buried. Did they just assume based on the climate at the time and the weather that was the case? Because, yeah, I agree with you. There's no reason for them to have thought that. I honestly couldn't. I couldn't find it. And I looked. They basically searched the area a bit more, found another item of her clothes and was like, yeah, she's probably buried around here. What a fucking cop out. Right? Yeah. I just that that doesn't even fit the problem. Not a single one of these people have been buried. So her body, get this though, it gets, it gets worse though. Her body was found by a deer hunter on December 31st in a rundown farmhouse 300 yards from where her clothes were found. So I have a new idea. I think that everyone in the fish and game industry should also be trained in forensic pathology. <laughs> so if and when you're out in a boot and you come across this... You can just handle it. You know the people to call. You know the right thing to do. Because clearly, okay. you guys know what's up. You need to be trained in forensic crime scenes. Really I work with them. fish and games, and I have a side degree in, well, forensic pathology. Forensics. And I work for search and rescue, and yeah. I'm a jack of all trades. Oh, 300 yards from where her clothes were in a rundown farmhouse that was, like, abandoned. I don't get it. The audacity. And also, if you are working with a, again, more transient community, you find pieces of clothing and ID you don't think to go look in an abandoned building nearby, Mm -hmm. like, just purely based on being rational and having Mm -hmm. common sense. The audacity. Oy vey. Oy vey is right. Okay. But we're back to June Cicero. So remember bad bitch June Cicero? Yep. Baby June. Her body is found two days after the discovery of Felicia Stevens on January 3rd, 1990. She's found completely naked except for a one white sneaker, white socks, and a single small earring with a very distinctive pink stone. Her body... So this is where where it gets important. Her body is discovered by a helicopter crew who had spotted her body lying in the icy salmon creek they were doing like a helicopter surveillance and they spotted a body this was a new york state police helicopter and inside of it was senior investigator john p mccaffrey so at this point something that they knew about the killer and the senior investigators in there it's not just like some b-roll cop in there taking a gander yeah. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not a street cop who is taking these as single individual cases. Like, yeah. someone more like him may be like, oh, these could all be connected. Yeah. So, <laughs> something they know about this killer at this point is that he's returning to the scene. Like, we've we've seen it a few times now. Duh. That there's, yeah, there's really obvious 
He um, has a pickup and a drop-off location. Evidence guys. of him returning to the scene and, you know, potentially doing more than just rolling the body over. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So they spot a man, just a kind of dude, standing over the river where, like, over the, the part where the body had been found. Like, it was kind of like you'd have to roll it, dump the body down into a ravine or something. So he's standing on this, like, bridge kind of deal. And he's either throwing something over the bridge or he's urinating into the river or something. And then he kind of looks up and sees the helicopter, gets into a gray sedan and drives off. So immediately they're like, he's returned to the the scene. Who the fuck is this? We need to follow him. So the helicopter follows him and is obviously alerting people on the ground. And the police eventually catch up to the gray sedan that he's driving. And they match one belonging to a Miss Clara Neal. Yeah. So they eventually follow him into a nursing home parking lot. And the police take him into custody. They got him. I I feel like I said that really anticlimactically, but. Yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I did. I just kind of like got there. Yeah, so at the they, end of the day, his story doesn't deserve any more time anyway. It's about the victims. Thank God they got him. But yeah, fucker. Yeah. So they they see him. They're like, we gotta follow that guy. So they they take him into custody, and he says later on that the helicopter and stuff didn't even register to him. He said that he wasn't even there revisiting. So you the looked crime up and scene. ran for no reason. He said that he forgot. <laughs> that her body was even there and that he didn't even think the helicopter following him was suspicious, which is like, this guy's the hugest bullshit on planet Earth, so. He didn't know her body was even there. It was his excuse. He forgot that he, that her body was there. But he had no better reason to explain why he was there again. He just said he was like there. He he needed to take a piddle. So he went there? I don't know. He just said he was hanging out there. I mean, he lives in Rochester. He doesn't need an excuse to be everywhere. No, but I mean, it's, I think you'd need an excuse otherwise to be back in the exact same location if you were like, oh, I forgot. You'd think you'd have another reason you're there then if they're like, okay, well, then why are you here? He'd be like, no, I think he just said he was like, he was just like on a drive and yeah, he stopped and he was doing something and then he just got in his car and drove away and he was like, yeah, I didn't even notice. But again, this dude is the hugest bullshitter on planet earth, so... And for anyone who's ever had a helicopter fly over them, you can't miss it. No. So well, you no. can't just be like, oh, I t- just no, didn't notice. He noticed the helicopter. He just didn't think it was for him. Like, he he says that he it, he didn't, he wasn't suspicious Like, it didn't that. register? He wasn't okay. suspicious, and he didn't think that they were, like, looking for him or hunting well, him. Maybe you should be. Mm. You, maybe you should be, I buddy. Mean, we've said it before, the arrogance. So it's now been 21 months into the investigation of women going missing from Lyle Avenue in Rochester, and many of them being found dead. Some of them have yet to be found at all, and they now have Arthur John Shawcross in custody. So remember how I told you that his parole officer never told law enforcement in the area. So yeah, they run yeah. A, they run a background check on him because they have no idea. And LOL. Oh, yeah, when a novel pops oh up. Oh, boy, what do they find? Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, this guy's been hanging out on these streets in front of us the entire time, and we had no idea. 
Well, and like, obviously, had they known this or had been on their radar, they wouldn't have had these conversations with them, chatted with them at the coffee shop, or found it normal for him to be there even. So, yeah. I truly believe if they knew his background that he would have been looked into seriously a lot sooner than he was. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think as soon as they would have seen him just lingering around Lyle... And then see him at the coffee shop and stuff. I think they would have looked into him naturally being like, wait, this all started and we have this new creep in town. Let's look well, at him. Like, that would be the first thing they do, I'm sure. It's not like he picked up people he didn't know at all. He's no. picking up people he has relationships with and he's probably seen with. So Yeah, he's built rapport. Crazy. So anyways, they question him at his home. He denies any involvement in the, cr- in the crimes. They make the choice at that point to leave him alone in his home overnight but they put his house under surveillance and okay. the next day he's taken into the police station for like formal questioning because they were just okay. they just kind of like questioned him at home and they weren't ready I don't think they're questioning him and I know like I could talk a lot about that interrogation but I'm not gonna too much I know that a lot of what ended up pushing him was they brought up his wife and Clara and kind of implicated that, like, Clara, they would involve Clara because they were her vehicles, and that kind of caused him to open up a lot more because he didn't want her involved. But they decided... So he's a sociopath. Correct. Okay, so he can build relationships, at least. He has a little bit of... We'll get there. Something. I, lo- I love you so much, though. Okay. <laughs> my, my little psychologist. I just want to jump the gun. I know you, you do. So, but they so they give him a stack of photos and pictures of the of still missing women. Like they're like there's still women missing. We're going to use this. They give them. Yeah. They give him a stack of pictures of the missing women, including ones that have been that they found as well. He literally shuffled them like a deck of playing cards and dealt out the ones he was responsible for. I know. Who the fuck do you think you are? He's like, shuffle, yep, nope, yep, nope. Me, mine, not mine, me, mine. He also, it really, really bothers me so much, he refers to victims and bodies as his. So, like, when he's, if he's denying that one, that he was involved with one, he will say, that one's not mine. Not mine. Not my body, not my victim. Ew. It's gross. It's like I mean, I know a lot of I know they, they do murders do because it. it's like a possessive mm. thing. But like, it's like not my kill. Sorry, no, that's no, 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 no. Okay, so on op- like on basically giving it up on the first day, he basically says after fourteen to sixteen hours, he grew tired of it and he confesses. Really? Mm-hmm. After multiple years of women going missing, the city was probably tired of it too, buddy. Yeah, 14, it's 14 to 16 hours is all he could take. <laughs> I can fast longer than that, Same. and that says a lot, because I love Same. eating. I do fast longer than that on the average day. So, <laughs> my eating window is eight hours, people. Which, we're, we're coming up to the yeah. end of that. We're going to have to wrap this up so I can go eat. So Arthur John Chakras, at this point, Chakras, is charged Chakras. with the murder of 11 women, 10 of whose names we've already mentioned. So the 11th woman... Is there a Jane Doe? She's identified. Okay. Her name is Maria Welch. She was 22 years old. She was a mother to a five-month-old son named Brad. 
And she was oh. last, I know, she was last seen alive. Some For some reason, a baby named Brad. Was Never really met a Brad tricked. I didn't like. Same. I've only ever met outstanding Brads. Same. They're all great. Except for that right? one motherfucker we talked about a couple episodes back. True. But he didn't go by Brad. He went by Bradley. And it's only Brads that I like, so. True. I've never met a Brad. You know who I'm... you are, Brads. You know who you are. My favorite one's guaranteed not listening. And if he is, he's rolling his eyes hard right now. He should or be, Or he's though. like, don't ever change, girls, because you <laughs> clearly haven't. Oh, my God. There's going to be so many people who know exactly what we're talking about. Definitely. <laughs> Okay, so Maria was last seen alive by another worker on Lilab on November 5th, 1989. Her boyfriend, Jim Miller, reported her missing the next day. Her body was not found until he was arrested and confessed. He told the police that he picked her up at the Marquis restaurant on Lake Ave. He said they went down to that area and parked. They sat and talked, and she was cold. The heater was on high. Art says he gave her... Now, remember, this is his story. Art says he gave her $30, and she took off her shoes, socks, and jeans. He then says that he... That she took off the rest of her clothes, and he only unzipped. Gross. He said that he put his hand in her and says he felt cotex and blood. At this point, he says he was grossed out and asked for his money back. He says... She told him to go fuck himself, so he choked her until she passed out. He says That's all bullshit on all of that. he then used rope that he had in the car to tie her hands behind her and then subsequently tied her feet to her hands. Then he tells some absolutely bullshit story about how she comes to he inserted himself in her. She said, I love you, and then he kisses her and kills her. But that is, there's no way any of that's true. Like, there's there's not even, like, a, like a half percent chance it, it's true. That is, like, him writing his own romance novel yeah. in his head. Yeah, and... That's his love letter to himself from her. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so gross. Yeah, and so I very specifically chose not to go through every single one of his explanations of what happened in these scenarios because these are one-sided statements we don't have the other side of the story to know what happened to the people who are the most vulnerable and in this case dead and so i'm gonna he doesn't need any more notoriety yeah i'm not gonna go into depth about the brutal interactions he says he has with every single one of these people i'll give you like maybe a few examples but I don't, I don't break them all down. I just don't even think it's necessary. And no. most of them is the gist of it. They have sex. She does something either gross or that's like disrespectful to him in some way. And he snaps and strangles or beats them to death. And what's the point of me telling that over and over again? Because no, it's, it's just honestly, it's just part of his process. Yeah, and he so asks, it would just be the same as you explaining what just, he does by strangling blame. and disposing of their bodies yeah. and stuff. It's just part of that process, and it's yeah. not to diminish what he does. But yeah, if it's so repetitive and so painful to talk about, yeah, there's no point. Well, and it's all just victim blaming. It's just blame, blame, blame. She yeah. did this, so I had to kill her. She did this, and I snapped. Like. And that no, nobody deserves. These women to did die. nothing wrong. Nobody deserves no. this. This no. These women were supporting their families mm-hmm. and their children and their spouses, and yeah. it's just 
It's disgusting that they couldn't do that in a safe place. I just refuse to give him that voice any more than he's already had. Anyways, so I will, I'll tell you a few. So the first victim we talked about, Dotsie Blackburn, he claims that she had been killed because she bit his penis while giving him oral. I'm Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Well, what he says is that she was laughing at him because he couldn't get his pecker up. His words, not mine. And so he slapped her around on the head a little bit, which made her bite him. Okay, yeah, if you hit her in the head. Yeah, I'm not going to go into, like, the logistics about why that is probably the first thing that's going to happen. I might even do it, like, like, involuntarily. Yeah, I don't know what else he was expecting the outcome to be by hitting her in the head. Yeah, so he says... I mean, the jaw is... It's it's not a wild card. It works one way. Mm We all have one, yeah. so... So he says that I got madder than hell, that's what made me kill her. Then I dumped her clothes in a trash can, cleaned the blood, and drove home. And this was all God, done it's so in... so cold and, like, just... Claire Neal's blue a list. Yeah. So Dorothy Keeler was the cleaner, Art and Rose's cleaner, mm-hmm. that she... That he had visited the day she went missing. According yeah. to him, again, according to him, he lied and said he... He lied to her and said he wanted to take her fishing. He lured her to Seth Green Island and they, like, he basically made her strip for sex. She threatened to tell his wife, Rose, which, like, honestly, halfway through this, I forgot about her because all I, like, all we talk about is Clara. Like, where is Rose? While yeah, like, is she just, I have like... no idea where she is while this is going on. I, would I almost know. wonder if she thinks, like, he has a daytime job, too, maybe. Maybe he's done something like you... that because he must have somehow blocked out a lot of time from being home with her. Yeah, you don't hear much about her. But mm. anyways, so he, she threatens to... Oh, so wait, sorry, this was... What was the island called? Seth Green. Like the actor? I don't know. Maybe. That's the guy who plays like Dr. Evil's son in Austin Powers. And his name <laughs> is Seth no Green. Idea. No joke. Maybe. Maybe it's a coincidence. We may insert a picture of Seth Green maybe in the show notes. after the island. I don't know. Um, Pretty sure that guy was like born that same year and at the time he was probably a nobody. So I'm going to go with no. Probably. But anyway... So Very odd. she threatens to tell Rose about this, and so he beat her to death with a piece of wood. After Because that was the only option. Yeah, and then after disposing of her body, he returns to the scene to masturbate over her body, like, over her corpse. And it was at this point, when he returned to the scene, masturbated over top of her, that he hacked her head off and threw it in the Genesee River. I mean, I didn't expect anything else at this point. Not really, no. Which is sad, but no, I didn't. Yeah. So, I actually do have a few more of these written down. I just don't know that they're necessary. What do you think? One more. Okay. So, June Stott. Wait, do we have Fanny Brown? No. Franny Brown. Not Franny. Oh, Oh, we have June. She was my favorite name. June Stott was the victim who was, like, found sliced open. Done. Do that one. (laughs) He's like, give it to me. He says he tried to have sex with June down by the river's edge, and she refused, telling him that she was going to report him to the police, so he strangled her. He then removed her clothes, put them in the river, and drove Clara's Omni back to her house, dropped it off, rode his own bike home. He does have his own bike. Yeah, he has his own bike. He then returns... Sans basket? Well, I mean, it might be Rose's, but we're we're pretty... Like, his blue woman's bike. It's still still the same bike. It's just... We're referring to it as his bike. 
He says after this, he returns to the scene two days later where he violates her corpse in a way that's inconceivable. And then he says he, in his own words, cut the vagina out and ate it. He literally doesn't even know what the body parts are called because that's not a thing. Because we know that, like, the lips were missing. Yeah. Yeah, and also the fact that, like, people tried, yeah, anatomy people. Just, yeah. There's, it's made up of a lot of little parts. Again. Educate yourselves. That's all. I don't know if he's lying or not, but just, he's such an idiot. And I was actually kind of in fear. Like, I was angry watching that documentary, watching him speak. (laughs) Which I think I texted you and told you how mad I was, but I was, like, a really not happy camper watching that. It's really hard to watch, so if you choose yeah. to, just know that it's, it's, he's horrific as he, like, to listen to. He's the to. blinker, right? Yes. Yeah, remember his characteristic blink? Oh, yeah, we never talked about that. Yeah. We never told the, it's basically just like a, it's exactly what I said. No, we like did a, talk about it in the first one. No. Because when you sent me that clip, I was like, I've seen him. Yeah, we talked about it, but then you said that you didn't. Like, you couldn't picture it. And then I sent you the clip, and you were like, oh. So it is basically just oh. like a very twitchy. Blink. Yeah, I couldn't really understand what a characteristic blink was because that left a lot to the imagination. That is was it, it fast? Though. Was it slow? Was it that is one it, at though, a time? For sure. Okay. Yeah. Totes. So again, like I mentioned, like most of the other victim stories are really similar. Something happens during a sexual encounter that he doesn't like or makes him feel inadequate in some way. So he strangles and beats his victims, rolls them over the cliff or throws them in the water or throws them up in a carpet or does whatever he needs to do and then he returns to the scene two to three days later and violates them which i'm not gonna get into yeah that on its own is disgusting yeah. but yeah it, yeah it's not worth getting into right now no so like i said he confesses the day after he was found near the body of june cicero he's eventually sentenced i'm just gonna cut to the chase he gets two sentences each of 250 years each to run concurrently so he, he had no chance of ever leaving there ever again, thank the Lord, because we know he's had far too many of them. He did actually try to plead guilty by reason of insanity. He basically starts saying that he was sexually abused as a child. And there's, like, nothing to back these claims up. Like, he says his mom and his sister sexually abused him, and his siblings are like, that never happened. So... Well, and that doesn't mean you're going to become a murderer. Like, no, but what... There are many people out there. What he, what his defense team got, like, they found a psychologist to basically say that he had PTSD because of oh, this God. and would black out when committing these murders and wake up elsewhere having no clue what he had done. That's what they were arguing. I don't understand how someone could speak to that without actually having years of interviewing this person, meeting with them, and also knowing their family history and the family being like, that didn't happen. Well, and I watched one clip where this lady was like one of the psychologists, and I have respect for people in their professions, but she basically said that she got all this out of him by putting him under hypnosis, and I could just see him being the type pretending to completely fuck with her and just pretend like he was under hypnosis and start spewing all this crap like i don't buy it for a second i don't because it never came up until now you had all these psychologist appointments or like all these psychologists that you went through but i just don't fucking buy it anyways no me neither it's too neither did the judge and neither did the jury so we're not alone in that but 
like the based on what he's doing at the scenes, like he's folding clothes, clothes. You can see clothes. he's like folding clothes. He's returning to the scene. Like this defense was rejected. The defense. Yeah, there's too much awareness. The defense of insanity. Too We've kind of talked about it before, but it doesn't argue that you have these issues. Therefore, you can't be held responsible for your actions. The argument is: Did you know what yeah. you were doing, and did you know that it was wrong? One is there something that we need to take into consideration that's outside the scope of the norm when looking at your sentencing crime and thought process behind why it was committed. There's just different factors once that's proven. And so the judge and the jury absolutely found that he had full knowledge of what he was doing when he murdered and brutalized those women. Like, you did not black out. You did not not know what you were doing. You knew exactly what you were doing. You've explained 100%. it to us in details. Like, stop. Yeah. Yeah. The trial judge for the Rochester murders was his honor, Donald J. Wisner. <laughs> yeah. I thought you said child judge. I don't know. The trial judge says that upon reflection, the prosecution should have pressed for first degree murder for the murder of the two children when they had the chance. And he actually said that they had the chance to go for an aggravated charge, which we did explain. I put, I explained in what? Aggravate, in the aggravated. Oh yeah, no. I explained like what aggravated murder is in our like crime facts that I do yes. on Instagram. So if you're interested in that, it's on the facts highlight reel at podcast by proxy on Instagram, but they actually had the chance to go for an aggravated charge in this state. And yeah. That would have ensured he would never have been released again, essentially. Like, he would have never got out. And so he said that it was not only the fact that he pled guilty and agreed to help um, locate Jack Blake's remains, but the prosecution took this to save the state the expense of such a huge case because they had a guilty plea. Because he was willing to plead, taking it any further than that would have cost them money. So they didn't. Of course not. Yeah. And there was actually a psychologist at, like, Greenhaven. He was a Sorry, he was a Greenhaven psychiatrist, and he had concluded that Art was, quote, a grave parole risk with an antisocial personality disorder, sociopath, and schizoid personality disorder with psychosexual conflicts. So he was diagnosed as a sociopath back in Greenhaven before they released him. It's not to say that you can't live a completely normal life in society with any one of those so to speak. No, but he had, um, he had but so he had many. But he had so much against him. And was him. very yeah. obviously not reformed. Like, as much as there not were colleagues and people who, like, he did manipulate well enough for them to think that he should be out, there were a handful of people that did not agree. And the fact that he was released after 14 and a half years and then did all this was a huge disservice to society. 100%. So it's yeah, it's disgusting that it had to happen because it was preventable. Yeah. And that's always one of the hardest parts about cases like this is when it was fully preventable and it still happened. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. So there's some extra things that we're not going to talk about. But if any of you guys listening want to kind of go further into maybe some of the like diagnosis, because of course there's going to be like psychiatrists and psychologists that basically studied him until he died. So he died on November 10th, 2008 at um, the Albany Medical Center. He had a heart attack. He had complained that day in prison of having leg pains and then he was taken to this medical center and he went to cardiac arrest and died. But there's obviously like a handful of people that studied him for a great portion. Well, everyone's been mindhunted to a certain extent totally. at this and point. And so one thing that some people there's huge like just 
not everybody agrees on this. There's people that say there's absolutely like no way that this contributed. There's some people that say it really could have in a really rare occurrence, but he was actually born, and this is confirmed, with something called XYY syndrome. So something with his chromosomes? Yeah. XYY syndrome, it's a genetic condition in which a male has an extra Y chromosome, and it's actually a lot more common than people think, but usually the symptoms are like being taller than average, having more acne, <laughs> having, like, they do have... Or, like, more hair or something like well, that. Well, they do, like, like in, something to do with increased, the growth hormone. typical increased rates of fertility. But there are some studies that say that they can be at an increased risk of learning problems, which could explain, you know, okay. a lot of his, like, behaviors in school and there were, I read a little bit that said, like, most of the time it doesn't really affect, like, cognitive or behavioral too much, but it could potentially cause some form of aggressive behavior. But then there's other people who are like, no, you cannot blame XYY on, you can't blame murder on XYY. Considering it seems like such a common thing mm-hmm. and that we don't know about it and it seems to go unnoticed, mm-hmm. I find it hard to believe that they could put that much on it. So I'm kind of leaning towards the side of the nose a little bit more, but I think it's just more, I need more information. Yeah, so like I said, I'll, I'll link some information about that if anybody wants to like kind of read that and dive into what XYY actually is and how common it is and stuff. I just don't think it's necessary for us to get into it too much. No, mm-hmm. we did the broad explanation of it, and I think that's all that's necessary for this. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to mention was that... Rose divorced Art in 1993, and Art and Clara married in prison in 1997, and she very much called him her sweetheart, and she believed that he should be out and that she could control him with medication. He killed people in her car. Mm -hmm. She was obsessed. What more? She loved him. I'd be pissed if someone spilled an iced coffee in my car. I've... And might unfriend them. I believe that she knew all of that. I think she was in on all of that. Yeah, I think she knew more than she's letting on to be that okay with it all now. I don't even think she, like, there's not much in there about her even being interrogated. There's just the part in his original interrogation where they kind of threaten him with, we're going to bring her into it if you don't talk, and then he... Well, that was probably part of the plea deal then. The beans. Like, you so, leave like, her the fuck I alone. truly believe that she knew everything like that was going on or may, if not everything like she knew a lot more than nothing because you let him use your vehicles like your vehicles were the vehicles he was using and then you married him like seven years after he got arrested in prison you clearly had no problem yeah, with gross. it she, yeah so yeah she she believed that he should be out so another just kind of like fact i guess about art Arthur was actually part responsible for the 2001 ban of prisoners being able to sell artwork they create while incarcerated. Why? The corrections on Canvas show had been staged for 35 years where inmates bought their own art supplies. So they bought their own art supplies, but they were allowed to keep half the proceeds of their sales with the other half going to the state crime victims board. But Yeah, John Wayne Gacy painted a lot of clown paintings. Yeah, so, but there was a huge criticism of art being allowed to participate 
and he'd previously they don't want they don't want arts art well, because it gets worse though nine months of a two-year solitary sentence for giving art to outside individuals to sell on ebay so he was like just bypassing so he was the- trying to like black market his own art Correct. essentially so then after that the, the department of correctional services banned corrections on canvas in 2002 so like everything else he ruined it for everyone way to ruin the fun art for everyone all the time yeah and i'm not saying i necessarily am for or against that program but like way to ruin it art i'm not against it i mean yeah that's not like the time to talk about it but i'm not against the program i just think then there's shitheads like this that of course of course you tried to do this he wants to do it his way it's all about him so actually a portrait of the late princess diana was among 10 sketches and paintings by him that sold for as much as 540 dollars a piece damn it I would have bought that for you. The other thing that's kind of interesting to note, and I'll leave it at this, any other research you want to do, there's lots that you can read mostly just, like, about him and what he has to say, which I don't really fucking care about. I forgot. She blanked. She blanked. She blanked. Oh, babe. Oh, I remember now. Light bulb. Uh, Light bulb moment. I do remember. Is that he, so eventually it took him a really long time to open up to like interviewers or journalists or whatever wanting to communicate him like for a while he flat out refused kind of surprises me actually yeah he would not speak to anybody about his crimes and then once he did he would not talk about the watertown murders of the kids would not he would get angry Hmm. and just get up and walk out mid-interview would not he would just be like I already told you, man, we're not talking about that. And then if the, if the journalist... I wonder if he had a hard time with those ones after, though, as he got older. Well... Being that they're children. Yeah, maybe, or... Like, uh, maybe he got a bit of a conscience. I don't know. Maybe he didn't want that to be, like, such a known thing out there because he was still in prison and he knew how he was treated the last time that was his main crime. Yeah, I mean, maybe he just didn't want people overhearing it, hearing it because for all they knew... He was in there for killing mm-hmm. women. Exactly. Nothing to do with children. Exactly. So, yeah, maybe. So, you know, that, yeah, could have been for that the makes for a pretty fucking horrible time. And so if he's, you know, got an all right thing going in there and then his friends yeah. in the jailhouse find out that he's actually a child rapist and murderer, like he's going to be in solitary forever. Yeah. So maybe something to do with that, but he, he would get like mad about it. But that's... I guess if it was agreed upon not to talk about, yeah, maybe it hits a soft spot, so... But that is Arthur John Shawcross, a.k.a. the Genesee I'm so glad you covered this. The monster. But I'm so glad you're done. Yeah, hey. Same. Yeah. Also super glad I'm done. Yeah. This book, Brandon bought me this book for Christmas, and it's basically just got, like, five to six different, like, case studies of different serial killers in it, and this this author wrote back and forth to all of them and actually i didn't realize how serious so this guy actually worked with police departments and would help out like with investigations of like cases that they thought were linked to the killers but they couldn't prove it they would use his work like his interviews and his like communications with them in their investigation which i thought was really interesting that's super cool yeah but anyway so i was reading it and and this arthur was chapter two and I, I've heard a, I've heard a lot of crazy shit, you know. Like I, I know most of this one's Jeffrey Dahmer by the back of my hand, but like 
I read this chapter and I put it down and I looked at Brandon and this is like Christmas time. So we just started this podcast. I looked at Brandon and, you're and I'm like, like, I'm going to have this. to do this. I'm going to have to And she to do delivered this. people. She, don't. she delivered. It's been, a, it's been like three and a half months, but you got it. Hopefully people are all right that it it was over two. Hopefully like after the end of number two, you understand why it was two. It was like kind of two separate cases, just the same asshole. Totally. It was for sure. I think it was smart the way that you broke it up. And yeah, I mean, from time to time, they're going to need to be two episodes. I mean, realistically, if I had chosen to give this dickwad a voice, it could have been three. Like I could have done one called like letters from art or something because there's a whole ass hour. I could talk about that, but I don't want to. I'm pretty sure based on just the number of victims as well, you could Someone could probably make a series podcast about this oh, case. Oh, yeah, you could. No problem. Could, like could, a mini yeah. series, six episodes, nine episodes. I could have, but I just. Easy. I, I choose what, I, what I'm willing to, to talk well, about. Well, let us know if you ever want as bonus content for us to pick a killer and do a more, like, episodic, in-depth dig for something because we could also do that as like a bonus content and that could be something that could be over three or four episodes released weekly maybe do a different one every month kind of thing so that could be an option as well for a deep dive yeah let us know what you want please at podcast by proxy on instagram link tree case suggestion get it we will say this until the cows come home we will and also you can like review subscribe Watch for our giveaways. Olivia's killing it on our social media, so it's worth checking it out. I highly recommend it. Don't worry. I don't touch it because I'm like the geriatric social media person. (laughs) I don't go anywhere near it. It's easier that that way. I told you that I was like, I went campaign. I was like, yeah, post anything on the store you want. And you're like, no. (laughs) I was like, can I send it to you for approval first? Are you within service? (laughs) Sure. Full send. Looks great. (laughs) Oh my goodness, yeah. Well, I think we can call it. I miss you. And I miss you. I, at least we get to see each other from time to time. I mean, minimum. <laughs> on here. Minimum once per week, honey. I know. I'll call you soon. Okay. <gasps> okay. Bye. Bye. How do I stop this shit? I'll stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking.